This is the ground control to major time. I'm standing through the door. Mars ain't the kind of place to raise a kid. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there'd be no place to raise them if you did. And I think it's going to be a long, long time to touch down, make sure I'm not too fine. Not that man you think you am at home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man. Burning up my fuse out there alone. And I think it's going to be a long, long time. I think it's going to be a long, long time. I think it's going to be a long, long time. <sighs> Mars ain't the kind of place to raise a kid. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there'd be no place to raise them if you did. It's pretty dumb. That's pretty dumb lyrics. Give them credit for just willing to go for it. You don't suck the future. The future sucks you. That is, of course, uh, a reference to a line that appears in two different entertainments, filmed entertainments, uh, in the 70s and then again in the aughts. Uh, that line is first said in uh, I believe it's Saturday Night Fever by Tony's dad when Travolta says, fuck the future. And he says, no, son, you do not fuck the future. The future fucks you. And then, of course, repeated again by Commissioner Yari, played with supercilious transcendence by Stephen Tobolowsky, replies to, I believe it's racist Steve yelling about the the... Land Commission, fuck the future, to which he replies, no, sir, the future fucks you. And certainly that has been the case. And I would say the lifetime of everybody listening to this. Uh, so sorry about last week. Uh, should have been on last Wednesday, but you guys probably know that uh, – Will and Felix were in town. We were doing stuff. We were doing business deals. Uh, got a little busy. Sorry about that. And I'm going to be going to New York tomorrow to do the Frequency Fest, which I should really do my part to try to pro uh, promote. Frequency Fest is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do something that uh, it, we wrote for the thing. We're not just going to be dicking around. We wrote a thing. We prepared material. I know some of you are like, oh, shit, no, their material – their prepared material always sucks, but some of you like it and we'll have some prepared material, not too prepared though. They'll be riffing and uh, it will not be available in any other format. We're not going to be releasing it later on. 
hopefully though we can uh do a lot li- real live show soon because annoyingly we're not going to be able to have uh an audience for this even though new york is all opened up they didn't change that too too bad there uh but Uh, I just got a thing and it completely threw me off. Anyway, it's going to be fine. We're going to do a good job. And if you want to see it, it's the only way you'll be able to. So check it out. I'm really, I'm hoping it's good because Chris has done so much work for this. Chris is of course the king of the Chapos, our Lord and and master. We are all his, uh, his children in a way. Like he, he is our true dad. And uh, he put this thing together um, pretty much by hand and uh, with Dan Beckner. And I want to see him, I want to see it succeed. And I'm excited about it. I think it'll be good. There'll be a lot of good stuff. If you like uh, E1, they're going to be there. There's I Hate Movies, which people like. And then there's bands that I don't know what they are because I don't uh, follow music. I'm sure they're all great, and I'm sure that uh, people will enjoy them. So this is probably going to be the only stream I do this week because I'm going to be in New York starting tomorrow. Uh, But then I'm hoping to get back to trying to do at least uh, least one a week, maybe two. Uh, Trying to get to two, but it's going to be a little touch and go right now, so bear patience. Uh, So today we were going to talk, or yes, last Wednesday, I guess, we were going to talk about Ministry of the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. And I said I was going to read the first 50 pages, but I really, I obviously, you know, partially because of the time difference, but also because it was just, it's very easy to read. I just blew through the fucking thing. Uh, And so I'm halfway through (laughs) already. So... Uh, I'm not really just going to talk about the, the first 50 pages. Sorry about that. But I'm also not going to talk about anything too specific, too granular. I'm really just kind of using it as a, uh, as a starting point to talk about some stuff. And so if uh, you want to read along or read now, having listened to this to sort of see the context, go for it. It's, uh, I, I, I will say it's a, it's a cracking read. He's got the Dan Brown thing of, uh, he has longer character based chapters, but he also has those short chippy chappies, those, the short chapters uh, pioneered by Melville in uh, Moby Dick, but brought to greatest commercial success by Dan Brown in the, the, uh, in the Robert Langdon books. So you just keep going. And uh, I really enjoy too, that the uh, diffused narrative voice, you've got uh, point of view characters, you've got, um, you've got Paranagir characters that are individuals that like go through time. You've got characters that are just there for one chapter. You've got collective voices like we's and then those that we being a different group of people. Uh, that's all cool. And it makes the narrative, which takes a lot that covers a lot of time. It covers decades uh, easier to contain in your head because otherwise it might uh, be hard to conceptualize. But there's leaps ahead that that all uh, end up making sense. It does mean that a lot of the dialogue or the, a lot of the dialogue and the the narrative are kind of expository, but the expository voice is varied enough to keep it interesting. So it's a fun book to read. Uh, the di- I mean, the characters are obviously not terribly. Uh, dynamic or interesting, but that's, they're not the point. It's really just sort of supposed to be a, 
uh, a broad survey of like the human pageant of, of trying to correct the, the monstrous uh, damage of climate change before it truly does destroy civilization. It is, com- I got to say though, there's uh, <clears throat> obviously that feels very scary. It feels very uh, intimidating and unfun. This is why I have avoided basically any climate change related content. I haven't read any of the big climate change books or seen any of the movies. It always feels to me just like kind of a masochistic display. And I'm not a masochist. Uh, not in that way. Anyway, I, I like my treats. <laughs> so, and that includes artistic and cinematic. So this is really the first time I've grappled in, in books in book form with, with climate change and its real uh, implications. And I think part of that is because it's uh, fiction and also because, and because it, it's speculative fiction. So I always like that. Like the visions of a of of a dystopian of a dystopia dis, ex, uh, that you logically extend from the one we currently live in. I like that kind of stuff, like uh, the Oryx and Crake books. I'm a big fan of those. So that helped, and also the fact that the context here is not just what's going to happen, but also the response, the human response that it's going to trigger. Because I think a lot of the despair that I know I feel, and I think of others do, about climate change is the thought that. We have responded so blasely to things until this point that we can just sort of accept axiomatically that as things get worse, our public response to them, our commitment to resisting them isn't going to get any better. And I can understand that assumption, but I think history proves that it's not likely. I mean, the question of whether it's going to be a sufficient enough shift to win the contest is a separate question. But you have to get to that question, and that means uh, recognizing that deteriorating conditions and horror will will disrupt not just our existing systems, but it's the existing systems mechanisms of uh, consent manufacture. And that this book really is about like as the consent manufacture breaks down, even in like the heart of of of, of fossil fuel capitalism, there becomes a, a, a concerted um, response. And so the, the premise he starts with is that in the very near future, like 2023, there is a week-long catastrophic her, her, uh, heat wave in northern India that kills 20 million people. And everything that comes after that the, the the creation of the uh, of the ministry for the future and all of the civic uh, legal and illegal movements that emerge to try to uh, really push power in the direction of sustainability, the context is twenty million fucking people dying. Uh, and ba- the fundamental artistic uh, license that Robinson takes is that if that happened. It would create a, a. It would be the thing that pushed us, not towards collective, uh, you know, realization or or, or uh, radicalization, but just pushes us off of the paralyzed uh, spot we're currently on. That 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 the deer in the headlights freeze that we're in would be broken by that. Now I don't know if that's true. That is a lot of people. We have to remember. And he emphasizes that over and over again. It's more people than died in battle in World War II. It's it's twice the Holocaust, over twice the almost three times the size of the Holocaust in a week. 
And of course, that does put into kind of comic relief the the notion that this book is some sort of uh, happy, to- a fundamentally optimistic take on climate change. It presumes as a baseline, even if we avoid total social collapse and species extinction, it will be at the cost of deaths that we cannot conceive of. Uh, And the fear I think we all share, I know I have, is that we imagine the lives we live now and we imagine the the rolling catastrophes that we live in and normalize now and we project forward and we say, why would that be any different? And I'd say that the answer to that is not anything that can be expressed rationally. It is in, uh, it's in the ineffable realm of, of the spirit where we have to assume just to, to uh, you know, s- satisfy our baseline understanding of ourselves as conscious beings, that there is something beyond sh- sheer mechanism in our uh, li- lived actions. Like there is something compelling us beyond the uh, pool table physics of cause and effect. There has to be. And the book's assumption is that 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 level exists, that that, that that point of inflection exists on the question of climate change. And I would say that that's a reasonable assumption, if only because it exists everywhere else. Yeah. I'm petting him. I'm petting him. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, he feels better now. He's all right. Okay, so everybody can relax now that I petted the dog. I'm sorry that I was causing anxiety. So the book begins with this concept. 20 million fucking people die in a week. And part of the, I'd say, kind of ironic (laughs) twist of this is that the way that we experience that as the reader is through the, the point of view of a single Western aid worker who survives in a city that is completely suffocated by heat. Uh, and, you know, that's on one level, that's like, this is why uh, you have to avoid very one dimensional uh, uh, literary analysis categories, because you could look at that and say, Oh, look, white saviorism, literally the only person to survive is the white man. But that's also, that also serves the artistic purpose of pointing out the real fundamental, like bio power that Europeans and and Americans hold over the rest of the world. The North holds over the global South, especially in this time of significant climate shifts. The people around the equator are literally more vulnerable than us, than us here. Like not just where they live, but like that their lives have been lived more roughly without the benefit of nutrition, without the benefit of, uh, of vigor. Because we've sucked the fucking surplus of the earth. We've, we have literally, vamp- we have vampirically sucked. We've sucked off the world. Yes, the second-rate Victorian Holocaust, exactly. The sa- and the same uh, phenomenon at play. The North inflicting ecological catastrophe uh, on India in order uh, to enjoy the spoils of a global... Uh, capitalist uh, resource exchange network that funnels pleasure, 
north and pain south, which is the relationship between capitalists and labor, or between capital and labor, and between uh, metropole and uh, colonial ex- uh, colonial endpoint. So what happens? What does the world decide to do at this horror, this thing that actually causes the inflection point to reach? And this, this is where you can look at it and go, oh, this is ridiculous and feel nothing but despair. But remember, this is happening in a psychological world that you are not in. You are going through a looking glass the same way, and you have to therefore suspend disbelief the same way you would going through the looking glass into a, another, into a historical period in a book or in the far future of science fiction. You have to accept that this is not your world in a fundamental way, even though it looks exactly like your world. And the thing that separates you from that is time and event. The catastrophe of the, of the uh, heat wave and living in a world filled with all the other things that are also happening and have accumulated and, and, and uh, caused misery and dis, dis, uh, displacement around the world also. So time and place mean you can't live there. So assume to start with that it happens. What happens? Well, of course, they create the UN and the Paris Agreement people create a fucking bureaucracy. That, for one, is very plausible. And I think that that is uh, Robinson's fundamental insight, which is, of course, packed with uh, problems and contradictions, which is that if we're going to see any meaningful, coordinated reduction in climate, uh, outputs, it is going to have to start, at least in some respect, with a transnational institutional framework. And of course, that's very difficult. And that's one of the key contradictions at the heart of the the left. How do you so, uh, deal? How do you deal with the fact that there is a there are these imperatives towards international cooperation, but then also the reality that uh, that national like social formations are the only ones that have any coherence and can only, and they're the only places where realistically politics can be coordinated. That's a real fucking problem. And I think a lot of people who scorn international institutions in the name of uh, like national bourgeois, like because national bourgeois is the only thing that can resist international capital right now. While that may be true, it also, uh, means that your efforts run the risk of fracturing international cooperation where it needs to be increased. And of course, the other problem exists too. If you ignore the reality of the nation as an organizing principle, as a social reality, then you will end up just uh, putting a fucking green sticker and a rainbow on the Venusified hell world that we're going to inherit. And so what is assumed here is that instead of some global revolution, what we get is capitalism being challenged from within by a growing, coordinated, articulated political uh, uh, machine that does not seek to overthrow capitalism, but to seeks to transition it into a harmony with the world by taking the externalities of capitalism and pricing them into the system and thereby leveraging the future that is going away and its economic value to create uh, 
money, create wealth, create the uh, basically boils down to social will to act differently, to pull carbon out of the air instead of putting it in it. That's it. That's what they're trying to do. And of course, that's not communism. But I would argue that communism as a coherent challenge to capitalism is not a it's not a going concern at the moment. Now, it will come into some sort of re, uh, reality in the fight because the contradictions of capitalism cannot be contained. Like the ultimate thing about this is that even this, if it were to work, and I don't know how it ends, spoiler alerts, no spoilers. I don't know how it ends. They're halfway through. I've read enough about it to know that they get to averting the fucking Venusification of Earth, which is the best case scenario right now. Because if we do that, we can do a lot of other things. And by doing that, we will have created a social base that is so much more progressive than the one we do socially and uh, and technologically. And not in terms of like raw technological output, but like te- the technological power that individual people are going to be effectively able to, uh, to utilize. That uh, is, it's dizzying to think about the future that could be made out of that. And communism would eventually emerge in that context. And it would be emerge amongst a re a, 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 a uh, aware social class, a class for itself made out of the international losers, the losers within the, 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 the imperial core and the losers without a, a, a uh, an alliance between the two that would have to be facilitated at some point by international organizations like this Ministry for the Future. And so this Ministry of the Future comes into existence, and a bunch of other things are also happening. India sees a uh, massive political realignment where the BJP is wiped out, Hindutva as a movement is discredited, and the old Congress party is equally uh, implicated, and and India becomes governed by a new, uh, presumably socialist, uh, anti-caste uh, political party, and that that party then orients it orients it uh, India towards being the foremost country in climate uh, mitigation. So you have that as like the social base, a billion people making socialism, and why not? It's where the fucking actual violence was felt, not where it's felt as guilt, where it's felt as grief, where it's felt as anger. Again, this is, is would this happen? You don't know. Let's just assume. Uh, and the coolest uh, part that comes out of India is that you get a terrorist movement dedicated to uh, wiping out uh, high, high price tag corporate polluters and, and, and climate criminals, which, uh, I mean, Robinson is clearly not very comfortable with the idea of political violence, but I respect that he acknowledges that there has to be a, this, whatever fantasy of, 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 uh, of salvation we all are going to have to believe in, because we're going to have to believe in something, folks. You're going to have to believe in something. Uh, he acknowledges it'll probably involve some sort of violence. Although, honestly, and the problem with that is, is that the type of people who want to do climate-based justice aren't the type of people who are going to want to kill people. But, again, we have the problem there solved by these are people who saw 
their families wiped out in a fucking, in a, in a, uh, a literal Holocaust, a fucking consumption by fire. I think somebody says Robinson's books have gotten less and less revolutionary, probably as time has gone on and things have gotten worse. And the, the prospect of salvaging anything becomes a more realistic goal to fight for than changing anything uh, fundamental about the human condition in, in our conceivable lifetime. Although I wonder that there's one thing that uh, halfway through the book uh, in cataloging all the different resistance mechanisms that come into being. One of my favorites is, uh, is space pirates or uh, is uh, echo pirates who uh, – who hijack and sink fishing trawlers and liberate uh, the slave, uh, the slave crews of some of the ones, uh, and just to prevent fishing. Uh, that that's that's cool. Seems like you could do it. The high seas are pretty wide open, but obviously there's going to be a huge uh, political cost to that, and there's going to be a huge ratcheting up of state violence, which is going to have its own knock-on effects that have to be considered. One thing that he doesn't talk about, though, in all of these resistances is something that has come up now in the last couple weeks, twice, which is uh, cyber attacks and ransomware. So first you had some Russians who just wanted to get paid cyberjack the the software of a pipeline in uh, somewhere in the eastern United States. It's why people were filling uh, fucking target bags with gasoline. And... Now, one of the, a fifth of the U.S. beef supply is now frozen because of a ransomware attack at some food conglomerate. They're asking for money, but what if somebody said, no, you don't do this anymore? What are you going to do? Obviously, you can get around it, but enough of those attacks will have an effect. Unless, of course, it's all false flag shit to get us to uh, t- give over any of our uh, cybersecurity, uh, individual privacy. So that's possible, too. Who the fuck knows? But for me, I'd have to say, uh, if we don't get, if somebody doesn't do something about Bitcoin... I'm really going to – it's going to take a lot for me to restore my faith in human uh, cooperation at this point in human history because, come on, man, how are we – this is such an old goal, own goal, that we're still letting this fucking happen. It's, it's fucking monstrous. So there's uh, – one of the funniest segments is when there is a uh, group that hijacks Davos – uh, and instead of just panicking everybody, they make them watch a bunch of movies about how mean they're being to everybody. Uh, it's essentially, they, they just show them like an Adam Curtis film for a week. Uh, and I mean, I don't think that people, I've seen people in reviews say that that's sort of like an indictment of Robinson, but that seems to me to be pretty clearly uh, indicated to be a dumb idea that is done by uh, the type of tryhard uh, uh goody two-shoes who would man a uh, UN agency on climate change. I mean, I'm not surprised that they haven't done, I'm surprised they haven't done that yet as an activity at Davos. I'm surprised they have not staged that 
yet as part of the fun. So really what he's doing is saying what people would do. Some of it would work. Some of it would not work. Some of it would be based. Some of it would be cringe. And I do think it's interesting that another uh, sacred cow of climate change that he uh, has to sacrifice along with Megadeth is the notion that we can get away without geoengineering. And I think a, a, a as terrifying as it is, a recognition of of the t- of the stakes indicates that it, we might have to actually consider that. And I think the resistance to these kind of things comes from a resistance to uh, trusting the in- the institutions that would carry it out, and that's totally real realistic. But part of the uh, part of the math here, though, is that the ruling elite of these countries is getting going to get to a point where the maintenance of their power really is at a fundamental conflict, like in their perception, in their day-to-day working life, uh, and uh, this new climate reality. Like they're, they're losing their ability to, uh, to sustain a control, and that changes the incentives. They don't block out the sun, but what the uh, Indians do is they see the clouds uh, to essentially block the sun. And, and uh, Bill Gates has talked about blocking out the sun. And, of course, anything that guy says is just a counterindicator. Do whatever the opposite of what Bill Gates wants because he is a demon. He is Moloch. That motherfucker, do you know how much money the Gates Foundation gives to lobbying groups that fight against climate change legislation? This motherfucker, this guy who's telling you that, oh, it'll be okay if we uh, collect everybody's foreskins and make you drink shit water and eat crickets, is also stepping on the gas of the thing that's going to cause all of that. It's a pretty clear indication of what all of corporate and transnational institutional and uh, governmental action on climate change is, which is a feint. It is a puppet hand that is meant to keep you from recognizing the looting that is happening, the final stripping of assets to be consolidated into private hands and unaccountable corporate hands, unaccountable technologically supreme hands that will then control everything. So while we have this ministry of uh, the future plot going, we also have the technological resistance. Now, as I said, nothing about ransomware, although I do wonder about ransomware. I wonder how... How vulnerable are these things, are these institutions, are these frameworks and infrastructures to like a significant interdiction? Because, you know, if labor power is the power to cease production, then in a global uh, system, a Wallensteinian world system, then stopping the flow is just as good. Uh, And if we can do that technologically – that would fill in for some of the lack of uh, of working class self mobilization. Question there, of course, is accountability to the people doing it. Who would be behind the computer? And those are questions that can be only answered by only be answered by uh, the time and place, the context that gives rise uh, to these resistances, hypothetical future resistances. But one thing, uh, and I have thought of this myself before reading this book, one thing that Art Robinson 
argues, could change the equation on security in a way that could actually make the ruling class worried about resistance is drone technology. Is that as drones get smaller and cheaper, it becomes easier to use them in a way that is essentially unguardable against. And there is a spectacular act of echo terrorism that occurs in this book off screen because all the really nasty stuff is, is, uh, is off screen because he, he's not, he, he knows it's necessary, but it shouldn't be celebrated. And frankly, I don't know if that's not the right attitude because I have talked about how, uh, uh, Oh fuck! I forgot what I was saying. So I just I I, got, I accidentally hit the fucking chat and it blew my mind. It always blows my mind when I see these guys. Uh, but drone technology is something that could even the playing field a little bit. Could allow you to uh, get under the radar. And I feel that's true. You know, 3D technology and, and, and printing uh, and drones are really the only things that are emerging and, and uh, like software and algorithms and shit are the only things that seem like they can be produced outside of capital in a way that can be, that can be, that can resist capital on its own terms. So I guess that means people need to learn to code and how to make drones. But again, the the will to do this doesn't exist. Like that's the fundamental thing we have to acknowledge is that we don't live in this world where we can expect anything like that to emerge because this question is too diffuse. People's responses to it are too fucking diffuse. Uh, they are too paralyzed by indecision and they are too struck dumb by uh, addiction to the stimulus response nexus of existence within the system and that goes for me and everybody and so the people who really care about this stuff mostly just get sad or channel their energy into embarrassing emotional catharsis like uh, extinction rebellion or whatever the fuck So yeah, I'm not going to try to make any drones. I'm going to keep uh keep post I'm going to keep fucking talking to you people. I'm going to keep talking to you guys. Not forever probably, but for right now, and that's all I can really do. I can just sort of make myself uh in some way at peace with my situation and then if I can't if I find that I am unable to, then addressing that which is preventing me from doing so. And I'm, I'm trying to do that. Uh, I'm in the process. Where it will lead, I don't know. But I'm, 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 in a, I'm, in a, I'm on a journey, man, like everybody is.
So in enumerating the responses, Robinson also uh, highlights the fundamental places where things have to change really quickly. And he acknowledges uh, one of them having to be the internet as it's, it currently exists, that it can no longer be the, uh, the corporate uh, matrix uh, that it is now, uh, incentivized as it is now, and that that would have to go. Uh, it's like, yep, absolutely. It's a pretty ingenious method that they go about doing it, whereby they create a, uh, they create a fully secure social media space where your data is owned by you and you can sell it which that you do feel like, oh, you know, going to the market. But once again, the idea here is to wean a market off of its worst uh, social and ecological uh, side effects. And uh, I mean, we can also, I think we can agree that social media, uh, even though you know, it's only a component of a matrix, is, one, is a uh, debilitating millstone around the neck of human civilization and uh, has to be addressed. Uh, also, Crucial, the need for uh, the incentive structure of the market to be changed by the introduction of a way to invest in the uh, world in the future, a way to invest in the future. And that's where they talk about this uh, currency. It's essentially a Bitcoin uh, that helps the world instead of destroys it that is created by sinking carbon instead of creating carbon. And I thought that was really cool and not something I'd really thought about, but you know, it's like, it does help with one of the big problems, which is there's all this fucking money to be made by all this stuff that's in the ground. People are going to get it out of the ground unless there is an incentive not to. And that's either, uh, you know, some sort of techno uh, global, enforcement regime that prevents people from putting up oil derricks or uh, you know, you've dismantled the system of uh, capitalism or you make it in their interest not to do it. You make it in their interest, you make it worth money not to pump oil and that is going to have to happen. Unless you, once again, destroy the infrastructure for oil or replace it with something, there has to be an economic incentive to keep it in the wall, in the ground. And then the third part, the third big part, they haven't really gotten to it yet. I'm only halfway through. But uh, as soon as I read it, you know I started nodding. It's when they say, oh, yeah, there, people are going to have to actually believe in something. People are going to have to actually care about and have an emotional terrain that recognizes the, uh, the existence of others and the persistence of a human community. Oh shit, that's religion. We need another one of those. Uh, I have, they only mentioned it. I'm, I'll see what happens in the second half. I'm looking forward to how you figure that one out because to me, this is one of like I am closest to that question because I have no because that's where the people who don't have any uh, technical affinity go. Like I don't have the uh, expertise to help on any of the de- the, the technological questions. Uh, or on any of the big questions of policy, even to which the degree to which those are important. Uh, I am a jackass who just talks about things. I, I give little speeches. That's that's for that's for the humanities grads. And what are the humanities but not an exp- a, 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 an attempt to dissect into pieces the uh, reality of the human soul? 
Like that, that is what the, the, the soft sciences are. It's the human soul splayed out uh, on a cork board and its organs uh, cataloged. And of course, that's worthy work, but absent a social practice that enlivens that knowledge with the, the mystical, uh, emotional connection provided by communal existence, cooperation, it's dead. So I'm very interested to see how Robinson goes about uh, nudging along, because obviously it's going to happen anyway. People are hitting the dead end. People are hitting the dead end of materialism. They're finding that it only uh, can keep you going for so long before the, the contradiction between objectivity and subjectivity, between being the universe and being um, and having a sell-by date, uh, it becomes overwhelming. There's no degree of indulgence or uh, neuro- neurotic self-obsession that can keep you from it forever. And now we're getting this new generation of children who have hit the fucking bar- barrier by age 18, 19 years old. I mean, a lot of them are trying to kill themselves. Apparently, the teens are very despairing, but not all of them are going to kill themselves. Not the majority. The rest are going to keep going on, and something is going to have to move them to move to continue. Something is going to have to be believed in. What it's going to be, it doesn't have to be good. Science point to it being very bad, in fact. But that doesn't mean that that absolves us of the responsibility to try to participate in the good version. Yeah, it's probably going to be some TikTok faith. And it's sobering because there is going to be a religious revival, but a lot of it is going to be cult-based, and a lot of it is going to be uh, defined by its social reactionary nature. It's going to say, this world is scary and, and big, and I am a little atom in it. Where can I find uh, meaning? And their answer isn't going to be in humanity as an abstract concept. It's going to be the, cl- the people who are closest to them, the people who are the most similar to them, the people who comfort them by reflecting them, which is what we seek in a, in a, in a public world full of strangers. The only truly soothing image is a mirror. And so that's what we seek. That's what our entertainment has become. We're seeking a reflection of our own values, a reflection of our own sense of self. We want to live inside a fucking disco ball because that's the only way to be soothed. Strangers are scary. That's why everyone's on the internet where they can uh, see people as a projection of themselves, not as real people because they're not dealing with the, the uh, intervening viscerality of uh, human encounter. And so it's probably going to be based, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, mystical uh, communing with racial groups and with national categories. And that's going to be bad news. But a lot of us have been brainwashed by the Hollywood sicko uh, globalist machine. And thank God. And maybe enough of us can reach across the uh, the divide of the other because succumbing to that 
is a worse for our sense of self and for our uh, super or super egos restraint against that behavior because so many of us have become um, uh, so many of us have become uh, neo puritans basically uh, who don't believe in God anymore but still believe in eternal judgment and the need to be among the elect uh, and that is you know the residual motive to be a social liberal and. There are a lot of people who have those things deeply embedded. I know that I do. And like succumbing to the nationalist racial uh, religious uh, mania would be too great a violation of our uh, sense of self. So between those people and people for whom that is not an option because they are the excluded, I think you could maybe put together a team that could uh, maybe compete for a title. If we could all have become Mormon by now, we probably would have fixed everything. But it's too late. One of the, like, in the archipelago of existing, like, uh, fully luxury, fully automated luxury space communist bubbles that will exist in the future Earth, like an Earth that's basically water world, except for a few little outcroppings that stick out. And those will have on them little bubble cities where you will have fully automated luxury space communists. You will have the dream of, uh, of material splendor for all. And those people being all the people who made it into the bunkers and then were able to use their technology to build themselves a little, uh, a little bubble. Uh, amongst them, one of them will be Mormons. One of them will, have, will, be, will be Cyber Utah. No question about that. Because they work together to make it happen. The rest will be, you know, essentially hickamory domes of uh, freaks fucking uh, cyber sex dolls. But of course, the reality is, is that if we do get the worst, most catastrophic outcome of climate change, that won't happen either. Because... The faith in that, the faith in Mars, the faith in New Zealand is part of the greater faith in the self that these people are clinging to. These people who are the most religiously infused, the most mystic people on earth, the hyper wealthy, because they have cocooned themselves in something that they believe is deeply as a fucking medieval martyr at a at burning at the stake, which is that technology exists to sustain them and that it, its power is essentially infinite relative to the uh, him and that it can be utilized to their full control, meaning that they will be able to use it to, um, to dominate any physical reality. The, the seas rise, I'll put up a bubble. The, the workers rebel, I'll replace them with robots. At every point, there is an answer. And then, of course, at the end of the question, of, well, what about life and death? What about dying? You're going to now have to die, having cut yourself and severed yourself completely from all of humanity. How are you supposed to deal with that? How is it not going to drive you insane? How is it not going to send you to hell? The answer is, I will live in the machine. 
all of those beliefs are believed as deeply, as fundamentally as people believed in medieval Christianity and are as illusory. God didn't make the world in six days and you can't fucking escape the second law of thermodynamics. They will destroy everything in the pursuit of this fully luxury, automated space communist utopia for their grandchildren and them, of course, because they're never going to die. Or if they do think they're going to die, if they don't, if they if they haven't been convinced by that science, then they think they're going to create a lineage and a, and a legacy because that's what you have in, in, in to focus on. If death is uh, too, if if death feels too real to you. You have to have either a legacy or a fantasy of eternal life. And both of those things are, are, are sustained by the wealthy by delusion, by religious mania. Because these people do not believe in science. They don't believe in technology. They have encountered science and technology through a personal experience that has seen it open its hands to them and reveal the jewels of the universe to put them in a position of power that no humans had ever ever held in human history. Not through the use of arms, not through violence, not even through physical effort, through fear, mental exertion. At least that's what they think. That's how they experienced technology. So, of course, to them, because this is their lived lives, it is imbued and infused with belief, and it is belief in not just the self, but of the supremacy of their specific selves. The rest of us are just reifying our egos. But in the absence of absolute power, those egos are being destroyed by the inability to recognize a world where you are both the center of the universe and its only consciousness and also subordinated to others, subordinated and disempowered and not able to do what you want. How the hell do you deal with that? And it is the neurotic attempt to square that circle that I think generates basically all bourgeois politics. Now, of course, those super wealthy are transcend bourgeois morality, transcend bourgeois politics, give a shit about any of that stuff because they have total belief in the self and also physical evidence of their self's power and centrality. They think they're gods and the world proves that they are, as opposed to the rest of us schmucks who think we're God. At the end of the day, we think we're God, but are but live as as uh, as peasants. How can that make sense? And we try to make sense of it with politics, with religion, with culture. But in both cases, this neurotic drive towards distraction and, and uh, resentment and uh, guilt assuagement that happens in the middle drives the actual machine of capital towards annihilating ends. So next week, uh, I'm not done, but just wanted to make sure I'm done talking about, I think the book we'll talk some more. I'll, I'll talk more about the rest of it. And when I'm done with the whole thing, I'll probably like look back at other stuff that maybe I missed talking about this time. 
So I'll have it all done by the next time we uh, hang out, which I don't know if it's going to be. It's not going to be this week. But we'll do the second half of Kim Stanley Robinson's Ministry for the Future, not of the Future, Ministry for the Future, next week, hopefully, or the week after, if not. And just to uh, comment on the title of the book, one of the other key components here, the understanding is, is leveraging the future rights of humans not yet born against uh, the current calculus of economic value. But again, with all these things, you're essentially creating ideological justifications for what, at the end of the day, are uh, material considerations. And that's where the uh, coercion comes in. Because all of the stuff about, hey, We'll have, a, we'll have a crypto coin. Hey, we're going to sue you in court on behalf of future generations. That's just to give them an out short of final conflict and annihilation when, they're, when they feel that they've lost the battle that is being pushed on all fronts, including uh, physical fronts, using physical uh, coercion and intimidation. But I don't want to talk about that too much because it's nothing that – currently makes sense tactically it's nothing i certainly nothing i want to get in trouble for i'm a pussy i will admit it i don't want to get in trouble because what would be the point no amount of uh echo terrorism in the current conditions absent any kind of movement absent any kind of catalyzing political uh um event or organization is just more grist for the mill more uh strategy of tension fodder more stuff to keep us on the road to uh, total uh, techno-dominion. Techno-dominion. I'll tell you right now, I hate being under that techno-dominion. I hate being under that techno-dominion. Oh, child. Lord of mercy. Oh, yeah, you know you get that. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be no more gumbo if that river keeps rising. If that gold Mexico keep coming in there, you go not go have no gumbo. You gotta cook up that root. No, I'm not some sort of categorical pacifist, but I do think that we are so awash in spectacle and violence right now that anything short of a, a destabilizing degree of physical resistance isn't going to do anything other than provide more uh, fucking trending topics for people to bat around.
Oh, somebody asked about Ariel Pink. I know him because he got in trouble for going to the Capitol uh, on uh, January 6th, which is very funny. All the celebs who went there, like Jay Johnston, it's like, at the end of the day, all these viruses operate on everybody. All these mind viruses that we're spreading on the internet, no one is immune from them. Somebody keeps asking about the Bo Burnham thing. I don't know what that is. Is he a musical comedian? Is he one of those guys who uses guitars while he's like doing punchlines? Never really been a fan of that. Like that seems to be you're trying to do like a Mitch Hedberg, Stephen Wright one-liner thing, but <clears throat> you don't have the confidence to just leave it. Leave the uh, dead air for a little bit in between jokes? I don't know. Uh, apparently Bo Burnham did some sort of like, uh, epic communism and, uh, someone on Twitter pointed out very accurately that if, if you're going to have people changing their minds on, on like the viability of the system, even if it's just, you know, not necessarily that it's going to be good, it could just be performative, but it's going to, it's going to mean cringe like that. It's going to mean people doing that. That's going to happen. It's it's, no one's, no one's going to have perfect takes. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to watch it. I'll say that. Okay, I'll, I'll leave on the, the the veiled prophet thing. But first of all, shout out to uh, Corpse in Orbit, Michael S. Judge, host of Death is Just Around the Corner, a great podcast about American uh, America's. He's essentially a uh, Michael is a basically uh, uh, an architect critic where he's describing the the structure and map of the uh, black iron cage of American uh, capitalism. But he, in 2017, cause he's from St. Louis and he kind of knows those people. He apparently uh, uh, knows uh, Hawley, Josh Hawley uh, that he knew about the veiled prophet, which is uh, a, a debutante ball type thing for the upper crust of St. Louis that they started uh, to celebrate the victory over the, the strikers during the St. Louis uh, general strike of 19, 1877, part of the great railroad strike. It was an end zone dance for the, the rulers of the city uh, over the, the rest of workers. And in 2017, he said that Ellie fucking Kemper uh, from the office and Kimmy Schmidt had been one of the, uh, one of the guests of honor. Uh, so shout out to him for having this way before anybody else. Uh, but obviously the big reason that it moved is the way it was framed. It was framed as it's the clan. These are the clan. Look, they're wearing wet white hats. It's a clan party. Well, these guys were the clan. Now, of course that's not true in any literal sense, 
it's instead the fact that yeah, this is part of the, the upper crust of a of a near south city that was dedicated to uh, maintaining racial and class hierarchy in St. Louis, and they had a party to celebrate it. But turning it into the KKK thing, whoop! It just that's what made it sing, and that's what made it sizzle. But the thing is. All this really proves is that Ellie Kemper, like most actors now, uh, is a fucking rich kid who's, who became an actor as a hobby and succeeded because they could stick around while other people had to fucking work. That is everybody. It used to be obviously a big chunk of celebrities and of actors and, and artists of all kinds, but now it has become almost exclusively that because it is too hard to risk it. It's too dangerous. The, 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 the cost benefit analysis doesn't hold up no matter how much you want it no matter how much talent you might have that calculus can only be made by people who have a safety net and so what a shock child of rich people is a fame is a famous actor the all of the real dudgeon about it the stuff about it being the clan or whatever is just more motherfucking liberal posturing because once again we have an example here is somebody who came from the bad kind of rich people, the local elites of smaller cities in the hinterland, the beautiful boaters. This is local capital. These are the bad guys. So we could do this. Meanwhile, how many fucking actors and actresses are the children of bankers and fucking hedge fund managers? Wow. Uh, white shoe law firms. That doesn't get talked about because that is invisible capital. And it's this trick goes the other way too, of course. Like those veiled profit people, they pitch themselves and think of themselves as the salt of the earth. They think of themselves, we're not cap, what's capitalism? We're working together. We're all part of one community against, against uh, Antifa and uh, the global world order. They're the bad ones. And it's not capitalism, actually. Capitalism is good and we do that. Both ways, it is, it's a cultural projection of a, a uh, battle between local concentrated capital and transnational capital, a battle across time, essentially. It's, it's a temporal war between capital at its most accelerated point and at its most, its most accelerated financialized endpoint and its more localized fixed, extractive uh, midsection. And then it's fought as a culture war where the role of capital is completely uh, hidden and shielded and veiled in both cases. So the real fucking veiled profit of this whole thing is capitalism. Boo. Drop the mic right there. It is, of course, the capitalism. But obviously it is very funny because the, that is some real Yellow King shit. It's always been super creepy. Uh, in the 70s, some like left-wing activists stormed the thing and pulled off the fucking prophet's uh, veil to show that he was like the local head of Monsanto. And then the one who, woman who had pulled the mask off had her car blown up by a fucking bomb. It's it's real true detective hours. 
Enterprise Rent-A-Car and Monsanto are huge donors for what they use at the VP Fair. Not exactly pumpkin, pump, uh, country pumpkin smallholders. Of course not, because the money is all flowing in from outside. These are not disconnected capitalisms. The culture stares across the time frame. The actual money is flowing between the two. Like they're not, these people are still super rich and powerful. It's just that they identify with a local formation of power and a local hierarchy. Because remember, we're dealing with an era of lumpen class non-consciousness across the board. We have a lumpen middle class, we have a lumpen proletariat, and we have a lumpen ruling class. They do not have a sense of themselves as part of any project. They operate out of total self-interest. And they are, like, you've got guys like the Ricketts family who are billionaires who believe fucking Fox News forwards that are meant for the dumbasses who vote for their candidates. They believe it now. Because spectacle and media has replaced life for everyone, no matter how many how much money they have. And the, and the, and the hope of climate change is that it is a shift and a shock to this system sufficient to reorient people towards their lives and away from that spectacle. Whether that's true or not will be seen, but the conflict is, in, is inevitable. It's not that we are enchanted by their stories. It's that it's their stories have replaced our social existence. There's nothing that we are choosing them in favor of. They're filling a hole. That is why we can't unplug. That's why we can't really log off. Because we are now cyborgs. We have offloaded a huge percentage of our mental uh, world and our emotional world into this cyber realm. It cannot be just cut off. So it's not their, it's not anyone's fault for being enchanted. They are pr- dealing with reality as it is presented to them. Where that the that the your the tele, as um, Howard Beale said, where your own lives are unreal. Because how could your life, that which is spent not observing this stuff, not engaging with it. How could it compare considering how much time you spend on one versus the other and how lonely the time you spend by yourself uh, outside of it is? And that lonely time is still spent in the cyber realm, basically. It's the ghost acreage of your soul. Ghost acreage is, is, uh, is a concept that explains how uh, imperial cores are able to sustain themselves by accessing 
bunch of land that is not actually part of their polity. So England was able to way overproduce uh, their Malthusian Limonon population because they were able to access massive amounts of ghost acreage. Our minds have ghost acreage online. And this is the, the, the conflict we're all stuck with. And this is the, the, the horn of the dilemma, is that we need more than ever to rebuild our spiritual connection to each other, our spiritual connection to the world, so that it can orient us towards good action that can only be determined through analysis of that world. But at the same time, we are constrained by our, our disposition our material dispositions, which are beyond our control, <clears throat> to, have to live in a, 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 a hybrid cyber realm, a, a, a cyborg realm. How do we balance those? How do we, how do we direct the flow, the emotional flow, the, the uh, <clears throat> spiritual flow between the one state and the other to, to push us towards Right action. That's the challenge. And I don't know the answer. That's why I keep talking. That's why I keep talking around. Because I don't know the answer. Because I am alone. Not really. I have people in my life. But I am not part of a project. Beyond the artistic project. The, the intellectual project. But I'm hoping that that will change. And I'm trying to make myself ready for the moment. And yes, this is a, this is an original Adam Friedland. I'm very proud of this. Yeah, uh, he painted uh, he painted a great paparazzi shot of Paul Giamatti on the subway, and that is it's wonderful. Reminds me of New York, hey. Somebody says they should be Beppy Grillo. Yeah, the fucking five five star movement. Uh, real, real fucking hit that one. Really hit the nail on the head with that guy. With that one, guys. All right. Talk to you chickens later. Peace and Kush grease.